Welcome into the Pursuit of Manliness podcast, where we are vigorously equipping men to pursue biblical manliness. My name is Jarrett Samuels. I'm the host of the podcast. Men, as always, thank you for taking time, checking out today's show. If this is your first time coming across the Pursuit of Manliness, I want to say welcome. Thankful that you're here. If this is your first time coming across Out in the Garage, I want to remind you that Out in the Garage podcast is sponsored by Dark Water Wood. Dark Water kc.com visit darkwaterkc.com right now they have an out in the garage bundle teakwood coffee beard balm the coffee beans are actually in the beard balm Uh, beard oil and it's made with genuine you can't beat genuine genuine armored nation coffee so visit darkwaterkc.com when you check out if you purchase that bundle the discount code for this week is Exodus 9, all capital letters. Of course, the 9 is a number. Exodus, the number 9. When you when you check out, put that in. Save 15% off of your beard bundle purchase. All right, we're in Exodus 9. We're going to cover a few plagues. Plagues 5, 6, and 7. Livestock, boils, hail. It's a mess. It's a mess. I would have gave up. I would have gave up. I would have probably give up with the frogs. I'd probably been out on frogs or fleas or ticks or whatever they were. I'm done. But uh, Pharaoh, not so much. So uh, we've been kind of unpacking this. As you guys know, if you listen to this ep- these episodes, and a large number of you do. So out in the garage, you guys that listen to this, we're walking through uh, the book of Genesis. And uh, we'll, nine verses 1 through 7 of chapter 9. Easy for me to say. This is where the livestock die. Now, God's been starting to do this the last uh, plague or so. He says, uh, verse 4, But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all their belongings in the people of Israel shall die. The distinction in the livestock is ultimately uh, in the people who own the livestock, right? Nothing about the cows or any of those things. It's God saying the livestock owned by the Israelites— I'm going to make a differentiation between the, uh, them and the livestock owned by the Egyptians. God is not doing this because Israel is so good, but because of the covenant he had with Abraham. that This promise that he had made, that, that they were a chosen, a distinct people, that he would bring about his Messiah through them. And you know, even though God makes this obvious distinction in these plagues, um, Israel... Israel, if you know the story, and it doesn't take you long to to walk through the book of Exodus, Israel says, I want to go back. I want to go back. What do you mean you want to go back? We had meat pots there. We had food. You were miserable. You were oppressed. You were slaves. You had to throw your baby boys in the night. We want to go back. So fickle, right? They were so easily corrupted by Egyptians and the perception of comfort in, in these idolatrous gods. And so essentially God is, will succeed in getting Israel out of Egypt. The, the challenge is getting Egypt out of Israel. They want to go back. And I think that's one of the challenges to believers. For some people, they just don't want to let go of their old ways. They don't want to let it go of the pre-Jesus life. They, they kind of liked living in sin. They liked the salvation, but they liked the sin. And they liked the friends, and they liked the gatherings, and they, liked, they, don't, they don't want to think of this you know, life of restraint or whatever, however you perceive it. it. It's hard to get that old self out. 
And so when he says he's going to make a distinction here, the word is pala, P-A-L-A-H, to be distinct, separate, set apart, to be different, to mark something as different from something else, right? It's interesting, this word is, I'm, I'm going to, they're going to be set apart because isn't that, once again, what the Christian life is to be about? We are to be set apart. So many Christians want to blend in with their culture. We're just like you. We do the things you do. We change our profile pictures to what you change it to. We act the way you act. We shop where you shop. We download what you download. We vacation where you vacation. We're just like you. That is not at all uh, in Scripture. Be a tent maker? Sure. All things to all people? Of course. But there is a great distinction between light and darkness. So the next plague, we got some boils here. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. What kid wouldn't want to get in on this, right? It shall become fine dust all over the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out and sores on the, uh uh-oh, it's getting personal, on man and beast throughout the land of Egypt. This is marking another progression here. Pharaoh's heart is hardened. God's going to continue to persist with the plagues. Previously, the plagues were what? Hindering possessions. Now these plagues are impacting the person. As Walter Kaiser says, for the first time, the lives of humans are attacked and endangered, and thus it was a foreshadowing of the tenth and the most dreadful of all the plagues. He says, I have a specific action for you. What's the action? Take handfuls, plural, of soot from the kiln. Why? Well, the type of furnace, the kiln that is spoken of here, was probably a kiln for burning the bricks. The furnace then was a symbol of what was the ongoing oppression of the Hebrews. The sweat the tears, the blood that they shed to make the bricks for the Egyptians and how the oppression just got harder and harder and harder. Thus, this is the reason that the soot made by the enslaved people was now to inflict punishment on the oppressors. I'm telling you, God is involved in the finite details of our life. You say, oh, Jared, that's just hyperbole. That's just exaggeration yeah read the bible read the bible it's it's just throughout and if you read it if you're willing to read it even beyond what you the page like what you see on the page and actually re- like read these words and understand what they mean and what, what the, the whole correlation to all that, if you read that you go oh god is in every detail of this Jeremiah chapter 32 27 god speaking through the prophet Jeremiah behold i am the lord the god of all flesh is anything too hard for me? Think, what is it? What is it? What is it? What's your thing? You say, God can't do that. God is anything too hard for me? God warned Israel that if they disobeyed him after they entered the promised land, he would once again send them painful boils in which he afflicted the Egyptians. Deuteronomy chapter 28, the Lord will smite you with boils of Egypt and the tumors and with the scab and with the itch from which you can't be healed. Deuteronomy 28, 35, just a handful of verses later, the Lord will strike you on the knees and the legs with sore boils from which you cannot be healed. God said, do you you remember that? Because that's what's going to happen to you if you continue to walk in sin. 
Unfortunately, they didn't believe him. So that moves us on to verse 13. Now, once again, I'm not reading all this. and you can, I, I would encourage you to read it for yourself. Read it with some people, whatever. But I do want to jump down to verse, where am I at here? Let's say verse 15. I was thinking 13, but I think I'm at 15. And God says, uh, For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence. God says, Do you know what I could do to you? And you would have been cut off from the earth. That means dead. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed on all the earth. Moses was to tell Pharaoh the only reason God has let him live was because he's going to show his power and his name will be proclaimed in all the earth. See, Pharaoh at that time thinks he is the big dog of all the earth. There's nobody that's going to compete with Pharaoh. That's the problem. Perception is not always reality. And it clearly wasn't for Pharaoh. And you go, man, Pharaoh, what a what a knucklehead. Yeah, we do the same, we do the same thing. We have a perception about ourselves, and often it's not accurate. If God is in the finite details of our life, we got to ask ourselves why. For this reason, so that he gets the glory. So that he would get the glory in this. God had allowed Pharaoh to survive these six plagues, but in spite of you know these this clear evidence of a divine power pharaoh was like nah just kept rejecting him he said i've allowed you to remain and this shows again god god's patience here god's patience towards pharaoh if we're honest god's god's patience towards us i want to turn to romans chapter 9 here i'll do it quickly Uh, verse 16 So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show you my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wills and he hardens whoever he wills. Well, that's what's happening here. God is showing Pharaoh tremendous mercy, yet his heart continues to become hardened. So at this, where's it at? Verse 27, Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I have sinned. What's the plague? The plague is hail, just continual hail. I can't imagine the sound. I can't imagine. They were warned, don't have any servants, don't have any livestock out, nothing of of relational value to you. Get it in. Well, of course, they're going to not do that. And then this hail just comes out of nowhere. He says, uh, this time I have sinned the the Lord is in the right, and I, my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Interesting dynamics going on here. Pharaoh is confessing words that would suggest repentance. But he goes on to say, no, nope, not going to do that. Moses goes on to tell him some things. And then in verse 30, he says, But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not fear the Lord God. And he says, no. He verbalized the right words. He, he just didn't do it. He just didn't do it. Pharaoh speaks truth, but then turns around and immediately speaks a lie. 
So the question I should ask myself, and I would encourage you to do the same thing, is, is have I ever claimed to repent of something? And then shortly thereafter, been tempted to do it again and again fall face down committing the same sins? That That's a rhetorical question, correct? Like, yeah, we've done that. In Exodus 9.30 that we just read here, Moses essentially is saying to Pharaoh's confession was a counterfeit confession. Moses said, not impressed by your confession. Moses is getting some courage now, right? Fearlessly confronting Pharaoh about this false fear of God. He said, you just want, you just want the weather to stop. You just, you just want this to stop. The truth is, God knows Pharaoh's heart. He, know, he knows our heart, right? Proverbs 16, 6, the last part says, By the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. God knew that Pharaoh wasn't going to stay away from evil. He was going to continue to do it. We need to carefully weigh what we promise to the Lord because he knows our heart. You say, do you fear God? Oh, yeah, yeah, I fear God. Yeah, careful. Careful because we need to not just say it with our words. We need to continually live that out. I've seen many, many a man make a profession of faith, a perception of repentance, broken, contrite heart to change nothing. Nothing's different in their life. Again, we don't talk about behavior modification. We talk about surrender to Christ. As we said on our uh, Quiet Life podcast, that they become uh, friendly but fruitless. Nice people, but there, there's there's nothing, there's no fruit coming from them, right? How do you know, though, Jared, if someone made a genuine decision for Jesus? Can't. But you can watch their life. You can watch their life and say, um, anything different there? Are they, do they say one thing, do something else? Do they continue to live the same way? Do they continue to end up in the same miry muck of sin? Do they continue to do that stuff? Yeah. And you ask myself, how often do I compromise something to try to appease someone else? Right? Like, if we're not careful, that's what some, I mean, how many guys, you might, might be you listening, how many men stood in front of a church, got in the waters of baptism, were at the freezing cold lake, raised your hand at church camp, came forward at a revival or whatever, because there was a pretty girl sitting next to you, and you thought, if, if, I, if I get in on this Christian thing, then, then maybe I can seal the deal here. Poor ladies. I think there's countless guys who probably did that. Now, I'm, I'm a firm believer there's been a lot of ladies win guys to Jesus, no question. Get them to church, get them to love Jesus. Uh, yeah, yep, absolutely. But they do is they say what they think you want to hear. That's what Pharaoh did. He said what he thought Moses wanted to hear. The problem was this, this issue is much bigger than Pharaoh. This is God's people being free to wor- freely worship him. So I got to make this personal. How often do I compromise or try to meet what I believe are the needs of people throughout the day? How many times have have you put on a personality or tried to joke with a vendor or tried to make someone feel less uncomfortable? Or how many times have you modified something about yourself throughout the day to appease what you believe is the perceived need of the other person? And then you come home and, and, and you have war 
46 different masks throughout the day. You laughed at a terrible joke. You, you drank a coffee that you don't like. You, you said yes in a meeting that you, well, you really wanted to say no. I mean, you put on all these personas throughout your day. It happens all the time, all the day. And then you come home and you're like, I got nothing left to give. You're thinking, finally, a group of people that don't need anything from me. And so then you're just the worst version of yourself. Everyone else kind of got a modified version, right? You know, like we had a vendor come by the church the other day and he was bringing some stuff and you know, I'm kind of joking with it, you know, whatever. And you leave, you're like, why'd you do that? Why were you so jokey? Why were you, well, because I, I, I thought it was awkward. He was here and we got the wrong stuff and he was going to, he was going to take it. And I felt bad that he was hauling the stuff back. And then he was, so, so I tried to make the situation and then you, why'd you do that? That's just what I thought was for that, for that moment. How about we stop trying to please man? We try to please God. And pleasing God doesn't mean that you're, you know, just a cutthroat jerk. But I think it does mean that you become less counterfeit. Your home needs your best, not your leftovers. And, and I've been I'm tremendously guilty of this. We need to find a way to focus on pleasing God throughout the day. Asking Him to shape our heart. Asking Him to direct our path straight. Asking Him to align our approach. And then suddenly when you come home... It's a little more refreshing, not just for us, but those people that live there. But at the end of the day, and we say this quite a bit, but at the end of the day, when you lay flat in your bed and you're staring at the ceiling tiles, I think that's where he's going to get you. That's where he's going to come after you. That's where he's going to remind you. And those are the places that be good practice to repent, to have those conversations. Say, God, Lord willing, you wake me up tomorrow. We're going to try to do a little bit better. Amen. Men, thanks for listening. And let's keep pursuing biblical manliness.